Good day and welcome to the Climate Change Therapy Podcast, a product of BlockRadius.net, your most trusted online media outlet for urban planning and unrelated topics. Today is October 1st, 2019. Thank you for caring about the future of our planet and your own personal well-being. Now, our guest today is Z. Nally Waco, one of the most influential, uh, to say the least, young urban philosophers in all of South Philadelphia. Number two on Black Radius's annual Top 25 Under 25 Urbanists in Philadelphia list, behind only a certain septa bus guru who shall not be named, and number four on our list of Top 30 Under 30, behind only myself, that same septa bus guru, and of course, Swedish climate change activist Greta Thunberg, who somehow was snubbed out of the top 25 under 25 list. I really don't know why. I guess I'll have to make a few phone calls, slide into the block radius DMs or whatnot. I don't really know. I don't know. It's a, it's a problem. Uh, editors there. Uh, anyway, given that this is the first episode of Season 2 of the Climate Change Therapy Podcast, the 10th episode in all but the first of Season 2, thought we'd take a quick moment here to reintroduce the show, especially for you new listeners out there. The point of this podcast, Climate Change Therapy, is to force ourselves to talk about climate change, a topic that no one really likes to talk about, especially in social situations. And that's a huge problem. Ever try to bring up climate change at a party? It's not good. Sports, music, impeachment, all much better bets for having a pleasant conversation with a stranger. But the truth is, we have to talk about climate change, have to keep it in mind every day. The same way we have to think about death every day to keep the very act of being alive in perspective. Because remember that change comes from chatter, that ideas don't just form but grow and grow through chatter, and that if anything will save us, it will have been born from chatter. But in order to amp up the chatter, to get to a point where we can talk about climate change in social settings, we have to practice talking about climate change here. So that's what we'll do today. Now, before I bring out our guest today, Z. Nally Waco, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Roland Cases. The most rocking suitcases on wheels. Roland Cases, whether you're couch surfing in Nova Scotia or just spending the night out under the stars in the middle of some meadow in the Catskills, Roland Cases are the suitcases on wheels for you and your life's journey. Roland Cases. And now we bring you Z. Nally Waco. Good to be here, Henry. I mean, Hank. <laughs> I don't know who Henry is. Sorry uh, about that. But thanks, Jenya. It's good to be good back. To be it, is, it is good to be back. And, uh, you know, I do resent the... Uh, number four standing on the 30 under 30 considering um that you know we have people in there who aren't even urban philosophers i would argue but it's okay you know i mean these things uh happen well you're only 25 wait your turn right. Right. you're number two on the top 25 <laughs> under 25 list so that's right okay. wait your turn um z so i want to start you off with a question i've asked you before on a previous episode but i i, I need to ask again i asked this of every Guess this is how we start every episode of Climate Change Therapy. How often do you talk about climate change in your day-to-day life? And with whom? And how do you discuss it? I actually talk about it fairly frequently. Um, you know, at work, um, you know, I, I, I have a similar 
job to you, as you know, and um, I'm lucky to have coworkers and bosses who, uh, you know, take climate change very seriously and who are willing to talk about it, who are willing to discuss. Um, the conversation isn't always fun or happy, but, you know, we go about it. Um, now, in my personal life with friends, you know, the conversation isn't about climate change as much, but uh, it is something that I found people are aware of. People are still, you know, even if it's not something, it's it's not like, you know, older generations where maybe people want to say, it's, oh, it's nothing we can do about it or it's not that big of a deal, although that's changing too. You know, I, I find mm-hmm. that luckily, hopefully for our earth, for our people, um, the attention or at least the acceptance that our uh, generation pays to it is is impressive uh hopefully that doesn't turn to resignation yeah um because unfortunately i think a lot of people our age say oh yeah world's going to shit we're um you know we've got we've got rising seas we've got rising temperatures we've got uh forest being cut down we've got crazy weather events happening all over but what can we do about it yeah it seems to me um that the last time i've had you on the podcast um, it's become more of a topic of conversation in the mainstream media um, with the, the town hall, the climate change town hall with the 2020 Democratic candidates. There was um, the national uh, climate change all around the world day. Um, Greta Thunberg from Sweden uh, spoke. It seems Thunberg. like it's been picking up. Um, my, my roommate gets The Economist and uh, there was a... The, the climate change specific issue of the economist it seems like mainstream media is picking up climate change as a topic in ways that it wasn't maybe a year ago do you do you sense that at all i've noticed that and i think some of it has to do with um our um fearless leader our overlord i think that um you know there are there's a silver lining in anything everything and i think his and his administration's and his base's intense hatred of anything to deal with climate change has actually galvanized uh, not just the the flip side of the coin, the the AOCs and the Bernie Sanders and the Warrens of the world, but also people who are a little bit more middle of the road. Mm -hmm. And people who are middle of the road, um, that, you know, they've seen the effects firsthand in the form of maybe hurricanes um, in Florida and Louisiana in the Carolinas and in Texas and wildfires in California. So the the storms are, are, are bigger. Um, So that could, that's probably having some kind of effect as well. Absolutely. Um, Also, there was a report recently about 50% of birds dying. I think now with, with also animals becoming extinct, there's kind of a, there's not yet a, a human um, sort of kind of human scale uh, a storyline about it that the same people can who get upset over you know healthcare and someone with a pre-existing condition getting denied in uh, insurance and you tell the story about you know uh, Janice from South Dakota who couldn't pay for her premium um, that kind of uh, human element is missing from a lot of how we talk about climate change, but at the same time, now you're starting to see it with, with the birds going extinct. Um, and I guess you, before that you had uh, coral reefs and 
and uh, plankton, but but they don't really, you know, they don't have eyes and they don't have a, a heartbeat the same way that a bird does. Um, yeah, it's a fair point. That's a fair point. It's more charismatic. Uh, they call it the charismatic megaflora and megafauna. Um, when those things start to die, people people start getting scared. The rhinos, rhinos the, the elephants, polar bears, polar know. bears. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to think about, and and I think what climate change means almost more than anything else is a narrowing is is a sh- mm-hmm. is a shrinking of things because when you have a healthy world and a healthy ecosystem, you have a lot of variety and you have a lot of little micro um, ecologies that can support only one or two species maybe, and they might exist in only 0.001% of the world. And when you start having these climate changes, those, those, the, the specialists species and specialist, uh, environments start disappearing. Yeah. You can start getting narrowed down. I think that's a nice segue into our first climate change fact of the evening. Um, it's a new segment we do called climate change facts, which we react to, um, an estimated 50,000 species inhabiting our tropical forests become extinct each year. That's 50,000 species become extinct each year, which is an average of 137 species per day wow. <laughs> become extinct. Wow. So let's hear your reaction to that. Z reacts. Wow. That's more depressing than I thought it would be. <laughs> 137 you know, species. You know, when you called me up today, Henry, Hank, and you said, uh, come on the pod one more time, I said, oh, you know, it'll be fun. It'll be a happy thing. Yeah, it's therapeutic. I've been, I've been very sad so far, Hank. But uh, <laughs> no, I think that, you know, it is, um, it's, all, it's unfortunately not surprising. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think we even realize the incredible diversity of, of species, plants, animals, amoebas, fungi, everything that's on this planet. And, uh, unfortunately I don't think we're going to realize it until it's, it's too late, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it's like you were saying about the plankton, you know, you start losing them, you start losing these little fungi and it becomes like a domino effect, like a snowballing domino effect where mm-hmm. that affects one thing that's up the food chain that affects another thing that's up the food chain until all of a sudden, um, you know, you have, I don't know, mountain lot or, or, or jungle, whatever, big cats live in the jungle, jaguars, right. something like that, until they can't live anymore, you know? And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there's only so many insects mm-hmm. that we can turn into patties for our consumption. Yeah. At a certain point, it's like, what are we going to do, man? We're getting, we're getting divorced from everything. We're getting divorced from the natural world around us. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if saving the little fun guy, you know, cause he's a fun guy, isn't enough. <laughs> if saving the little fun guy for being mm. who he or she is, isn't enough. Right. Um, then at the very least we can look at it in terms of a cost benefit analysis. How many of these guys and girls can we lose before we lose it all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, oh, it's, uh, absolutely sobering. Yeah. And to think we we think of the worst case scenario is is the end of the human species, but when you think about how 137 species are dying every day, like 
I mean, is, is that depressing? Like, the, the climate change, this is also a, a tale of human survival as well. But I guess at, at what cost? Yeah, it's, it's, it's human survival, but... Also dependency on... We're kind of trading nature and natural diversity for technology and technological and digital diversity in many ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess when you look at it, too, it's a matter of um, what what survival means. And, you know, yeah, species have gone extinct. There have been mass extinctions before. You know, things have died out. The planet has lost mm-hmm. more species and more living things than have ever existed, I think, is, is another fact. But mm-hmm. um, it's a matter of this, the speed at which it's happening and the... Uh, sort of comprehensiveness with which it's happening. Yeah. I think. Yeah, we started this by saying how we've lost, what, 50% of the bird species or 30% of the bird species in the last 50 years, some crazy stat like that. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's it's a lot. Let's just say it's a lot. Uh, and at the same time, there's never been more drones. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Right? That's true. Like we're losing trees left and right. We're losing forests. But at the same time, there's never been more solar farms. Well, you know, <laughs> that could be construed as a good thing. You know, solar farms at the very least. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like, what do we want to trade in? What do we want to trade out? And also, we're getting to a point where you have to look at what you want to save, what's worth saving. You know, I just, just was out in California with my buddy, um, with my buddy Anthony. And uh, Anthony works for the Forest Service. Actually, he works for a logging company called Green Diamond. Mm-hmm. Now, California has some very strict regulations governing where you can cut down trees, how many you can cut down, when, what you can't cut down. And so they hire people like my buddy Anthony to go out and uh, sort of survey the trees. And his specific job is to see if there are spotted owls. Mm. Um, that's an endangered species they've been trying to save for the last 50 years now, give or take. And if he spots a spotted owl, he you know calls up the company and he says, hey guys, there was a spotted owl here and they can't cut any trees down within a two mile radius of where he spotted that spotted owl for the next six months. Wow. If he spots a nest, it's even more so. It's like the next two years. That's why they call it a spotted owl? Um, no, they call it a spotted owl because of the spots, but he spots <laughs> the spotted owls. Okay. Yeah. Does he look for them during the day or the night? Both, actually. Both, yeah. He's out He's out at night, too. But the, the interesting thing about his job, I was talking, I said, wow, that sounds like a really interesting job. He said, yeah, but when I have kids, I'm going to tell them, you know, probably not kids. No, he said grandkids. He said, by the time I have grandkids, the spotted owl will be gone. He said there's little wow. to no question within the scientific community that in, within the next 50 to 70 years, there will be no more spotted owls. Hmm. And so he's like, so at a certain point, where are we putting our resources is the question is he says, if, if, if we know that the spotted hours are, are going to die out, why are we putting so much of our thought and, and money and energy into saving mm-hmm. the species? You know, we have to start asking those questions. What's worth saving? Right. So does your friend think about that? Like, what is he doing with, with his life saving the species that's going to end? Or is it worth it to prolong the lifespan of this species as a kind of a, a scientific um, experiment at prolonging lifespans of species in general. And 
you know, and it's really not just preserving the owl that he's preserving. It's also the trees. That's as important as the owl. I mean, maybe I'm not actually, I don't want to compare importance, but that's a significant part of it. That's yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. And I mean, he's committed to it. Um, but it is a sobering reality of, of, you know, there's just, there's only so much that we can do, um, given what we're faced with. And, you know, yes, it is about the trees, but the thing about the trees is if you log responsibly, the trees will come back. Mm-hmm. And part of his job is making sure that log, responsible logging happens. Um, you know, trees are a renewable resource for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes. You know, spotted owls won't. They won't come back. And a big part of why they're going out is that there's something called the barred owl, which looks very similar to the spotted owl, but it's a uh, it's much more aggressive and it eats the eggs of the of the spotted owls. It eats their young. Um, and that's a big that's a big reason it's an invasive species. But regardless, you know, it's it just raises the question of of what can we save, what should we save, what should we put our our, our energy towards? What should we put our money towards? Yeah. Is there something less flashy or less cute than a spotted owl that we might have a better chance of saving? Is it even worth trying to save anything at all? Mm-hmm. If we if we know that, you know, things are going to die out and maybe we should adapt instead of trying to preserve. Right. You know, these are questions that, that they're all asking themselves. Yeah. The, the, the fact um, it, it, it was one in four birds has disappeared in the last 50 years. That's from the Audubon Society. Just to fact that check that um, real quick. Um, I want to go back to uh, some, a point I made before about. Um, solar panels replacing trees and yes solar panels are a good thing but I, I thought the kind of ironic thing there was we're trying to harness um, energy from the sun which is what trees do yeah of, of course it, it's, <laughs> right, and, right. It's, and it's uh you know and it's, it's and you can imagine you know making a pole and painting it brown and putting right. a bunch of solar panels on the brown pole yes. and uh you know it's like you know yeah it's very meta the drone is us recreating the bird and the solar panel, especially now they have even trees that are, uh, or they have, they have windmills that are made to look like trees to blend in with the environment. And they have solar panels that are meant to look like big leaves to blend in with the environment. Like that's just what trees do as they generate energy from that. Um, it's well, the only difference being we can't currently uh, plug into a tree. You know, if we could, a lot of our problems would be solved. Right. We could burn wood. That's what we have to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, but we, what we could do is we could eat the plants that are grown as opposed to um, using electricity to mass produce Doritos. Fair um, point. But just a, another uh, climate change fact, just while we're talking about trees. Um, how many trees do you think are cut down each day? Just so we can have toilet paper. How many trees each day just for toilet paper alone? <laughs> this will make you want to use a bidet. It's got to be in the millions. No, not quite. No, it's just daily. It's 27,000 trees per day. Oh, okay. That's not as bad as I thought. Keep wiping your ass. Yeah, keep it. Okay. Keep doing it. Sometimes you got to keep, sometimes it takes a lot, you know, sometimes you got to keep wiping. Here's another tree fact. 250 million trees. There you go. There's your million. 250 million trees, a quarter billion, could be saved each year if every newspaper was recycled. Seems like a no-brainer. Now, 
What percentage of newspapers do you think are recycled? 17%. All right, not too far off, one-third. Okay. Or less than one-third, so, yeah. Um, if it were feasible to move all media to digital, more than 413,000 acres of trees could be saved annually. Interesting. It's a lot of acres. 413,000. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay, so we did this. Um, 640 acres is a square mile. Well, we did this in Cal in California mm. with my buddy Antoine and Christopher. We figured out that um, 600, about 600,000 acres is the size of New York City. Okay. So that's about a New York City's worth of trees every year. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Cool. Let's go paperless. Let's do it. Um, that sounds good. Um, Z, we wanted to talk about um, we a segment, uh, apocalyptic scenarios. I think this is very important because when we talk about climate change therapy, what are we really, what do we need therapy from? What is it that we actually fear? What is the existential threat that we envision in our minds? What are we actually afraid of why do we need to you know what if it's eat less meat or whatever um or changing our habits what whatever we talk about when we talk about um how society uh needs to change and adapt what scares you about climate change let me put it that way yeah well i think it's it's what i've been coming to realize more and more is it's what i was talking about before it's this narrowing effect and it is completely possible that in the worst of all case scenarios, within the next thousand to two thousand years, humanity as we know it is wiped out. You know, uh, the Kurt Vonnegut book, uh, Galapagos, for example. I don't know if you read that, but uh, it was quite good. And, and um, you know, he talks about basically climate change and humans ruining the world. And the book starts with humans having devolved into a dolphin-like species Hmm. and the world going back to normal. Basically saying the only way the world can exist as it is is everything living within its boundaries. We haven't been living within our boundaries as we know, or at least as, as a monkey does or as a beaver does or as a tree does. They all sort of fit their, their part. Mm -hmm. Populations remain somewhat stable. Somewhat stable. And if they grow too big, they die off a bit and, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now humans haven't been doing that and what it seems like is going to happen to me at least is as things get worse and worse, things are going to narrow. That means those specialist species we were talking about before that live in the very unique ecosystems, those are going to start disappearing. Mm-hmm. The effects we're going to see on humanity are going to be the poorest and the most vulnerable places are going to go first. We're talking about the small islands in the Pacific and then the Caribbean mm-hmm. and the Atlantic. They're going to start getting flooded. Those mm-hmm. people are going to have to go somewhere. Then you're talking about when it starts getting to be 120 degrees every day from April to October in many parts of the world. Um, mm-hmm. The poorest are going to die because they're not going to have access to air conditioning or, or cooling stations or anything like that. Mm. Um, then you're going to talk about, you know, shanty towns on, on, um, ocean fronts that are going to start getting hit by harder and more frequent hurricanes and, and typhoons. Um, well, hold on, hold on. Um, I agree with much of what you're saying. Um, but will, 
will it be the land that disappears and goes down under or will it be the people that kind of go down under with it or won't those people try to move to say higher ground or um, you know climates that are cooler now well i think people are going to try to move but the, the 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 fact of the matter is resources are going to start i mean we're already seeing them being concentrated you know mm-hmm. uh, i just read a stat that bill gates jeff bezos and one other really wealthy guy in the united states have yeah. more money than the bottom 50 percent Wow. of of uh, of Americans. So this money concentration that's already been happening is going to keep happening and it's going to happen worse and worse and worse. And so as you need resources to relocate people because people can't do it on their own, um it's going to mean less of those people are able to be relocated and it's going to mean yeah. And 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 I'm I'm sorry to say it. And so I think that you're just going to see more and more a narrowing and a concentration of things until really only the rich can survive. And as we can see, there's very, very few rich people in very, very few safe places. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm you know. very curious to see what happens with immigration policy around the world as these scenarios get worse and worse. Um, because for a country like, say, the Bahamas, which was just inundated by a hurricane, right? If there's a way for people from the Bahamas to evacuate um, cleanly and get citizenship to another nation, be be invited to live um, elsewhere in a place with more uh, resources. You know, plug in a microphone. You guys need a recording sign. What's up, man? How you doing? The great uh, Robert Room just walked in the building. (laughs) Say hi. That's not your pseudonym? Oh, it's Robert Ball. Robert Ball. Right. Remember the ball family? Hey there. <laughs> How's it going, big guy? What episode is this? This is uh, episode one of season two. Oh. So, Hello, season two listeners. <laughs> uh, thank you for that uh, introduction. We're talking We're talking apocalyptic scenarios here on uh, climate change therapy. There's another mic stand um, and microphone in there. You can just kind of set it up and pull up a chair. I got a call in like 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah, hop on. Yeah. yeah, we're not. We're just gonna gonna run. Shoot this shit with us, guy. Um, talking about apocalyptic scenarios, and um, you know, and and one of the things that I think is gonna happen as well is when I'm talking about narrowing. The narrowing isn't just resources and money and people. It's also parts of the world that are even feasible to live in. So you're talking mm. about the northern yes. United States and Canada. You're talking about the southern end of South America and Africa and the northern end of Europe and Asia. Um, that's, that's really it. And so there's just not going to be as much space. I mean, unless, unless there's a giant city stretching from what's currently Montreal to what's currently Vancouver, you're not going to be able to fit 3 billion people in, mm-hmm. in, that, in that little amount of space. You know? So it's also a narrowing of what, where it's even feasible to live. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe people will live on ships. That's uh, Waterworld. <laughs> okay. Pretty sure they already made a movie about that. <laughs> gotcha. Um, uh, so you were talking about Galapagos. I I just read The Road, Cormac McCarthy, which is the, the apocalyptic uh, world. You, you read it. Um, he paints a very 
dire picture. That's more of a almost like a nuclear winter type world. It seemed like yeah, where everything was very, very cold and and wet and rainy. Yeah. Um, I think what I'm most afraid of, you can plug it into either of those. Um. Yeah, the other way. Either way should work. Let me set up set up your mic really quick. All right, Toxie, tell tell our listeners about the road. Well, you know, the road is one of these great um, books where, you know, one of the reasons it's so great is because he doesn't give that much information as to why the world is the way it is. He just describes the world in this post-apocalyptic way. Have you seen the movie? I have not. I have not seen the movie. The movie was quite good as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But anyway, point being... um, yeah, it's it, it describes what happens to humanity. And, you know, what I think it leaves out, though, is I think even in that post-apocalyptic scenario, there there's something about human nature where the powerful hoard all they can. You talk about the medieval times. Right. There were castles. And that was literally someone who happened to own a bunch of land, made a castle, and hoarded all the resources. Yeah. So I think even in a post-apocalyptic scenario, a post-climate change scenario... You're going to have some people who have a lot of money. They're going to hoard all the resources they can. And the rest of us are going to be left to fight sort of amongst ourselves in the wastelands. Well, that's uh, Snow- like Mad Max style. That's Mad Max. Also uh, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. You saw that movie. That's that was, right. That was a great one. It's another good one. It's one of, one of my favorite of the genre. That and Mad Max was great. Um, the road, I thought, was interesting. They kind of reduced humanity to snow leopards in a way. Um, yeah. You don't even really need the, the headphones. Yeah, just see if that works. How many levels? Oh, okay. too much. Sorry. No, they're okay. They're good. Cool. Yeah, I think that works. Hello, welcome, Robert Ball. Hey, good to be Straight here. Straight from uh, the university. Um, the U of P. Yeah, it it the road kind of reduced us to snow leopards, where we kill each other for even though there's so few of us and we go, we're going extinct, we're killing still killing each other over resources and there's no trust at all. Um, I would like to think that even it, you know, after the apocalypse, there's a little more cooperation and some need for companionship. We are social animals. We're not quite snow leopards. That's my hope. Um, so anyway, apocalyptic scenarios, everybody. Um, Another thing that happens in the apocalypse. Yeah. Hot take. Um, it's getting theoc- pretty hot in here. Yeah, it's getting pretty hot in here. I think theocracies happen. Mm-hmm. I think. And I think. Have our- you read a. Uh- uh, Handmaid's Tale. I haven't read it, but I've been watching okay. the show because yeah, that's it. That's, that's a theocracy. Yeah. A theocracy, yeah. and and I think we're already seeing it trend in that way. We're we're already seeing um, die off of species. We're already seeing concentration of resources in the hands of the very few. Oh yeah, and we're already seeing um, things trend toward big people with easy answers. Right. You know? And towards populism towards populism towards populism and so you know we're seeing that stuff happen yeah. do you think that in the apocalyptic scenario we still have the internet nah I, not in its current way no. no 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 I think so I think you so you think so okay yeah. well here what don't you have that we consider infrastructure right now in the apocalyptic scenario like do we still have sewer I mean this is like there's there's far apocalypse like you know, Stone Age restart to zero, and then there's kind of like slow, sort of like Children of Men, like degradation okay. of society. Uh, what do you think? Great movie. What That's another th- good one to throw in there. Excellent. What do you think goes first, 
the water sewage system or the internet? Ooh, I'd say I'd say water sewage. Yeah, that's more difficult to maintain. It's water sewage is more difficult to maintain. And there's gonna be a water shortage. There's it's easier to cut off. Yeah, there would be. And it's like you can there are ad hoc ways to provide internet to people. There's not right. an ad hoc ad hoc way to like provide serious infrastructure. See, I the there's one thing I, I disagree in that I I read an article about why smart cities are dumb. Mm-hmm. Right. And and the reason being is hard infrastructure like rail lines roads sewer water um was all created to last a really long time right when you talk about tech technological systems sensors internet wi-fi all these sorts of things myspace myspace exactly they're actually they're actually uh, sort of a lot harder to maintain i Mm -hmm. think um like as soon as the power goes out there goes all that stuff Mm. um so i would actually be on the other side i think i think we'd have you know, it might it might you know be in an even worse condition than it is today. But I think we'd have water and sewage longer than we'd have our smartphones. Hmm. Could in, be wrong. Interesting, because the even in an apocalyptic scenario, the satellites will still be orbiting the Earth, and you can get GPS on your phone even without Wi-Fi, for example, right? Um, or even Wi-Fi is somewhat satellite, right? But these things can plug in to small microgrid-like systems that operate off solar or wind that are totally renewable and are actually easier to maintain than a complete citywide sewage system and water system that needs to be cleaned and needs to be filtered. And, I mean, we, we get our water from, from hundreds of miles away, um, but we could get our power from a solar panel on our roof. Yeah, but I think you have to ask who and where those things are coming from because it's also it's also distribution like and maintenance and it's like you know in a much reduced capacity like the city of Philadelphia's sewers sewer system they've been around hundreds of years already they might be crap but they'll be around another mm-hmm. couple hundred of years whereas I think solar panels you know i don't think those are going to be even produced if you're talking about a post-apocalyptic scenario well i mean people are already talking Mm about i'll have to like look at this article but i read some or i talked to someone who read somewhere um about the lifespan of like like pv panels being only 25 years Mm -hmm. so it's like there you go what happens i mean it's you know if this is like post-apocalyptic scenario are there like road warriors going out and like scouring the streets for more like pv like yeah 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 i didn't realize that 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 yeah everything's got a lifespan and i think with with the the sewers it's really the system as a whole will survive but like i mean we already you know subsidence cave-ins like you know lead (laughs) it's like these systems are so old yeah you know it's like it's like and that's where i think we're going to at a bigger like less apocalyptic level where it's like there are systems in place and there's like even there's an uneven distribution of technology where like we're talking about smart cities but like cities don't have the resources to you know build like 
pipes that don't also have shit in them. Mm-hmm. Like, and our water and sewer system, to be clear, does rely on electricity to operate as yeah, well. Yeah, that's sure. true too. It's not all gra- gravity pumps. Right. But that, although that would be cool. Well, There's like that, the, Ro- we'll the Roman aqueducts in the in the in the Roman, <laughs> the the restart of man yeah. scenario. Yeah. Sorry, humankind. Yeah. Yeah, man and woman. Yeah, and. Everything in between. And everything but in between. It's true. But, you know, but I do think that there's something to be said for, you know, it's what I was talking about before. It's the narrowing effect. And it's, you know, let's say um, the water and sewer system does still work in some capacity and electricity still does work in some capacity. It's going to be much smaller, much much more reduced. Because when you start running out of resources, you know, the poorest neighborhoods are going to be the first to lose those services. Mm-hmm. It's going to be concentrated, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's what we're going to keep seeing is just further concentration in the hands of a few. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's my, what we see right now. Yeah. Um, and Z, you, you were in India for, for a little while and I wanted to ask you about this, but um, did everyone drink bottled water there or could the Indian, was it something about the way they, they've adapted to their own, um, like water supply where they were able to, to drink their well water. Yeah, no, I mean, the wealthier people probably drink it out of choice, probably, or drink um, bottled water out of choice or filtered water. I mean, mm-hmm. they have filtered water that, you know, it's not like everything is. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I think in the poorer areas, um, you do see a lot of that. But I think you do also see a lot more people dying at younger ages because they're getting a lot of parasites, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of kids dying because they're... Or they're boiling their water. Oh, you might boil the water. If you're too poor to even be able to do that, you might just be drinking it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, I think there is some adaptation that goes on. Um, but, you know, yeah, there's definitely a lot of adverse health effects on the population mm-hmm. um, because of that. I want to read something that I've been meaning to read for a while. Um we all know that Greta Thunberg from Sweden yes. spoke at the United Nations this past week. I don't know. Did you get a chance to hear her speech? I did not. You no. You did not? You no. Did not? I also did not. But I have it. Her, the transcript pulled up. And I'm going to read this in real time. And we're all going to react right now. The tra- I guess it's not real time, but yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> You'll read it verbatim. It's, it's, I'm not going to read it at double speed. Let's put it that way. Um, this is all wrong. I'm also not going to do a Greta Thunberg accent. That yeah, would don't be do inappropriate. <laughs> this is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? Wow. Yeah. I also said, I don't know if you knew this, but she actually came across. On a boat. On a boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I saw that. that. She sailed across. Like wind power. Yeah. Oh, I think that's, I mean, I want you to continue this, but like, can we talk about domestic air travel because that's something that's like that is a huge like transportation is the number one like source of carbon emissions and not all of that is like oh you're big ass truck you fucking trump supporter no it's a lot of it is like we all love commercial air travel and that's gonna change yeah so Mm -hmm. sorry yeah um yeah continue okay greta you have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words Remember, she's telling this to the the world leaders. Mm -hmm. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. 
and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. Mm. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. Mm. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. I hear you. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil. And that I refuse to believe. Oof. Wow. Damn. That was it? No, not quite. I'll keep, I'll keep going. Oh, okay. The popular idea... That would have been a great way to <laughs> I know. The popular, <laughs> the popular idea of cutting our emissions in half in 10 years only gives us a 50% chance of staying below 1.5 degrees Celsius and the risk of setting off irreversible chain reactions beyond human control. 50% may be acceptable to you, but those numbers do not include tipping points. Most feedback loops, additional warming hidden by toxic air pollution, or the aspects of equity and climate justice. They also rely on my generation sucking hundreds of billions of tons of your CO2 out of the air with technologies that barely exist. Mm. So a 50% risk is simply not acceptable to us. We who have to live with the consequences. To have a 67% chance of staying below a 1.5 degrees global temperature rise, the best odds given by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the world had 420 gigatons of CO2 left to admit back on January 1st, 2018. Today, that figure is already down to less than 350 gigatons. How dare you pretend that this can be solved with just business as usual and some technical solutions. With today's emissions levels, that remaining CO2 budget will be entirely gone within less than eight and a half years. There will not be any solutions or plans presented in line with these figures here today because these numbers are too uncomfortable and you are still not mature enough to tell it like it is. You are failing us, but the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say, we will never forgive you. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up, and change is coming, whether you like it or not. Thank you. Wow. Bravo, Greta. Oh, my God. Bravo. The, the thunder of Thunberg. The concision, man. She's good. The tone of that, how dare you? How dare you? Well, it's true. I mean, man. Eh, she's, pff, that was powerful. I read my first article, or at least saw, I didn't read it, but I saw the headline for this, from, for the first article, I think it was on the New Yorker, that was like, talking about how it's now up to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize they've been doing that for three generations now, where it's been mm -hmm. three generations. It was, it was, uh, the baby boomers kind of did it. Then it was Gen X that they were like, it's all on you guys. You got to fix it. And then Gen X didn't fix it. And then it fell the millennials, which is us. And, and they said, the millennials, you guys got to fix it. We haven't done enough to fix it. So now they're turning to Gen Z. And now they're saying it's on Gen Z. And it's like, 
is Gen Z right. going to be the the one to, to fix it, or or you know, or what's the or what's the deal? Is it is mm-hmm. there still stuff we could do? Like, how long does it go on for? So I, I think half half the world the missions that we put out there have occurred since season the first episode of Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's that's a number I can understand. Yeah. What's the deal with that, guys? Yeah, I. What's the deal? What's the deal? <laughs> What's the deal with climate it's, change? It's pretty bad. No, I think it's it's you know. What the fuck is this? Everything remarkable about. You, yeah, it's the other. It's that one. Not that one. Okay. That's Keep talking that. about climate change. So I think that, I don't I I have, like, questions that I don't know who to ask, and this is probably the right forum for it. But, like, what... Maybe this is more a conversation about, like, the Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I respect, like, you know, the, the goal of the Green New Deal. But it's like, what... In what way, and maybe this is just like we've been coached to think about this, like as planners, like so much. It's like, all right, it's done, but with an equity focus, you know, and maybe this is what she was talking about with like carbon sequestration. It's like, what's the non like equitable way to do this? You know, if there was just like, fuck everyone, we're just going to get it down to like, I I don't understand like this conversation where it's like Mm going to do it, but we're going to do it with an equity focus. I think that's like saying it's like. We're gonna we're gonna reduce growth. We're gonna res- we're gonna you know move towards a different value system, but we're also gonna elevate people out of poverty and make sure that people that have been historically disadvantaged have the same right like access to resources as you do. Mm-hmm. Whereas like that's you know it's like that's kind of like how we're in this mess is like everyone on the planet wants to live an American lifestyle. Yeah, like everyone wants to be a wealthy middle class American. Not everyone, but like the people that would be contributing to climate change the most. Mm-hmm. And like historically, like the gen, you know, the baby boomers and Gen X, like those aspirations yeah. have got a, gotten us to this point. I think, I think that's definitely a useful question to ask. And you said, what does it look like to, to what does what a non-equitable scenario look like? Exactly. What your question was. And so the way I think about it is the rich people... Um, buy like mansions in like Canada mm-hmm. and like Upper Siberia, and they'll keep drilling for oil to to build those mansions. Um, and they let the poor people, poor people of the global south, um, die off. So and they'll is, let the so they'll let the no... human population um, go back to one billion from ten billion, and they will just move north where there's better crops and cooler climates. And no, better I, think, weather. I, I think that's a really good response. Yeah. I think that it's like there's the idea of like resilience and like living with climate change is the unequitable solution. Right. The equitable solution is to change your activities, Mm -hmm. even if you're not directly affected. Right. But just knowing that someone, you know, on the other side of the planet is going to feel it. I think, I think, yeah, I think, and I think another aspect of that is actually carbon sequestration. I don't understand why it's not a bigger thing. Because it allows the status quo to keep happening, basically. Yeah. I don't see why every single major oil company and oil producing nation in the world isn't putting billions of dollars every year into mm-hmm. developing this technology so it's ready to ready yesterday. Well, I think it's because there's I mean, no pressure, and that's, that's there's not enough pressure. The issue is just like it's like what if we developed like a mechanism? It's like, and this is a bad idea, but it's like, what if there was a mechanism that let you do exactly what you're doing now, but just put it off to another generation 
Like, yeah, I think that's what carbon sequestration kind of would be. Yeah. Because ultimately, it's, it's, a, it's, half, not, it's a half measure. It's a half measure. It's a band-aid. It's not yeah. sustainable because it, it does take care of the, the carbon levels. But at the same time, the way we put pollution out into our oceans will just continue business as usual. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, do, do you guys realize that? I remember when I was 16, I went to Mississippi for a summer. And we went to the Gulf of Mexico off uh, Biloxi, Mississippi. And there was a huge beach where I looked like the Jersey Shore. And there, but there, except there was no one in the water and no one on the beach. So what the heck? What's going on here? It's, you can't swim in the water. You can't swim in the Gulf of Mexico. Because it's at the foot of the Mississippi River, which carries all the agricultural runoff. Oh. And there's a, just a big... It's a dead zone. You yeah. can't swim in the what freaking sea. Like the oxygen zones? Uh, the algae booms? Yeah, oxidized zones. Yeah. Actually, I've been to Biloxi as well. Mind-blowing. And another level, wheels within wheels, when I was there, was right after the BP oil spill. Mm -hmm. And they didn't let you swim. They didn't even let you put a foot in because yeah. there was oil washing up on shore stuff. Mm. So carbon sequestr yeah. sequestration doesn't take horizon, care of right? that. Yeah, 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 deep, yeah, exactly. No, it's uh, but there's another Starring side. Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> there's another side to it too, which is that here's what the Green New Deal seeks to do, and here's why I have a little bit of, of faith in the idea. Not that it could be implemented because the powers that be wouldn't want it to be, but that well, it those could. Are, those are changing every single day now. Right, but that it could Maybe. it we'll could see. work if implemented because. What climate change comes down to is not just one thing. It's that the entire system is messed up. The entire system is broken. Right. And what the Green New Deal seeks to do is change the entire system, shifting jobs from polluting jobs to green jobs. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's how you bring people out of poverty. It's shifting transportation from polluting to non-polluting. And so it's not saying sustainability as one thing. It's saying there's an element of sustainability that's within every single aspect of our lives from, I think, from transportation mm -hmm. to business to retail to clothes to food to everything i think the know? the strength of the green new deal though and maybe this is like why people don't want to talk about it because it's hard is like the green new deal is also like a value transition it's people th stop thinking about like the quickest way from point a to point b but it is mm -hmm. the most sustainable way from point a to point b and maybe even like rethinking like what point b is like for me, the, the, the grapple point of Greta's speech was like this unsustainable growth. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and this is where it's just like, I, I like the Green New Deal, but it's like, I don't like the fallacy that it's, you know, it's like, this is the bad way to do things. And this is the good way to do things. And there's no sacrifice. And why, and like, our leaders are dumb because no one's been doing this. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, there's obviously like the... The way things are right now is because we need energy. We need cheap energy to keep on growing. And fossil fuels, coal, oil, natural gas, these are all high, like high concentration energy sources. Whereas renewables are very, very low concentration. Mm -hmm. I got to go, guys, but uh, I love the podcast. All right. Thank you, Robert Ball. Robert Ball Robert signing Ball, off. Everybody. Robert Ball. Woo. Yeah. What a great cameo. Robert Ball. Um, the Green New Deal. Hey, is this Gordon? Uh, I'll just... Hey, how you doing? Just uh, so we don't...
to, to acknowledge what uh, Robert Paul just uh, said for us and not just immediately go on to another segment. I, but I, I see it very much as a rough draft, and, and um, here are some ideas. Um, let's talk about them. And I, I think if you look at the Green New Deal, uh, is that being the purpose, just to introduce a bunch of ideas that can be discussed and discussed holistically, acknowledging that climate change reform will touch on all these issues. We'll touch on economic development um, and health and every, really every sector of our, of, our, um, of our society. I think that it's just a useful document just to start the discussion. Um, and I think that's all that it's about. It's only about five pages and there's no, I mean, they don't lay out any real kind of policy solutions, just a sort of series of aspirations to work towards. And I think for what it sets out to achieve, it's definitely, um, I mean, it serves a very useful function is getting those, that conversation started. Absolutely. Um, so can agree on that. <laughs> um, well, I guess what now that we're on the subject of politics, um, do we want to talk a little bit about the the 2020 Democratic candidates. I, did you get to, a chance to watch any of the climate change um, town hall? I, I watched a, probably watched an hour of it. Um, it was a it was a long town hall, and you know kudos to to mainstream media for for doing that. Um, I think it was much needed, and I missed something like that in 2016. I don't recall that being a thing, especially since. The um, the Democratic field, which was more narrower, um, and the Republican field was not interested in doing a town yeah. hall on climate. Yeah. Um, did you get a chance to see any of it? Uh, no, I didn't get a chance to watch any of it, but I did read up on what many of the main points were. And um, no, I mean, I think it's good that it happened. Um, but I think it still is just a reflection of the fact that we're still... I think it's good that we made the effort to to do that, to have a, a thing set aside, and that should keep happening. But it shouldn't just be a town hall; it should be included in every single debate. There mm-hmm. should be ta- there should be climate change questions. Oh yeah, there should be you know people should be campaigning on this. We talked about this you know a year or so ago. You know, the fact that a Green Party climate change focused candidate can't really be successful is a scary thing mm-hmm. is a scary thing because you'd think if all this science is correct then you know you know it's like the new deal that's why they call it the green new deal it's like the new deal of our time it needs to be this overwhelming sweeping effort to make stuff happen mm-hmm. i'm g- glad that you brought up the green party because um, we had a election in may here in philadelphia and i went to the ballot box and you know pennsylvania it was a it was a swing state in 2016, so it's super important. Um, and I went to the the voting box, and you know, I I have to I'm compelled to vote for a major party, right? Um, you know, cl- climate change is the number one issue I care about, um, so I, I vote Democrat, um, pretty much slate with that. Um, but I noticed the Green Party candidate was this guy named Paul Glover. But actually met a few times through work, and the guy is, much, I mean, he's he's awesome. He's an amazing dude. He um like runs like bicycle coalition, like citizens, like all 
all these like really good urban planning um, kind of community uh, organizations, bicycle advocacy. He'll show up to a meeting in a bike helmet and a sweatshirt. He walked across the country in the 70s and he wrote about it, like sleeping in barns, all the world is a bed. He's kind of like one of these guys. And he was on the ballot. And I know I knew him and I wanted to vote for him so badly. But I was just so worried that Pennsylvania, because this was for a governor, could go red now, um, that I, I didn't vote for him. Yeah. But I wish I could have. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking that after I did that, how great would it be if you could actually vote for two candidates for different slots and have like a first and second choice? Yeah. You know, now that we have, we can do this all electronically, you would think that it would be easy enough to tally up like votes in that kind of manner. Yeah. Well, that's called ranked choice voting. I, I, I love the yeah. idea of ranked choice voting. And they have it. It's, it's implemented in, in several places around the globe. Um, you know, Ireland being one of them. And I think it's, I think that's the direction we have to move, especially, you know, I've said this before. The United States is way too diverse of a country mm-hmm. to have two parties that, encapsulate all the diversity of viewpoints there are out there i mean Mm -hmm. what a recent immigrant in los angeles wants and needs is very different than what a third generation farmer in iowa needs which is very different than what a uh you know orthodox jewish person in williamsburg brooklyn needs you know it's Mm -hmm. like there are very you know and you see tiny homogenous countries in europe like sweden like ireland like austria that have the parliamentary system and they have you know 10, 15, 20 different parties that need to form a coalition. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's like, I don't really understand why. I mean, I I have some ideas of why, but I don't really fully grasp why um, in a country that's way more diverse and way bigger than many of these countries, we have such an old school two-party system. It doesn't seem to make much sense. I mean, it's because when you're at the top of the, the world economy for so long, people get this idea you know, don't fix it if it ain't broke kind of thing. So you get the pure, the constitutionalist. This is the way the the founding fathers wrote it. It turned out so well. Um, Of course, I don't know that that, uh, there's a real cause and effect there in terms of that. There are a lot of reasons why um, the United States is at the top of the economic food chain, and I don't want to continue to be a buzzkill, but, um, you know, slavery played a factor. Uh, World War II played a factor. I don't know that it's the two-party system is, is, is a direct cause there. Yeah. Um, but I, I really think there's a lot of promise in, in ranked choice voting. And, and um, heck, if I was president, I would, I would uh, put it on the agenda. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of which, who do you think, uh, who you got for, for the uh, so far? For the 2020 candidates, who for, would I like? For the Dems, yeah. What are you thinking? Oh, man, this really is tough. Uh Actually, I've been generally impressed um, what I've seen on TV. I've been kind of pleasantly um, surprised at, at the level of, uh, you know, kind of intelligence, just general intelligence that the candidates have expressed. And I would, I would definitely happily support any of them. This is in a situation where I think like Hillary was unpopular for a lot of Democratic voters. I think um, people would support Biden. People would support Elizabeth Warren. Um, I, I've, I definitely have, um, Elizabeth Warren's kind of gone up in my book, um, more. I didn't know much about her before, 
but I respect the way that, you know, she says that you got to, you got to stand up for what you think is right, even if it might not be the most um, kind of the mainstream thing for the party. And she could be labeled a socialist like, you know, and I, I respect that. And I think that she's demonstrated um, intelligence and a reasonableness that if she were president, she would she would do the right thing. And I, I think I kind of I, I trust her decision making. Um, yeah. So I, I, I like her and. And I like Biden, but he is, he is old. That is the reservation with Biden there. He's very old. He's got a lot of baggage, too. He's got baggage. He's got a lot of baggage. But Warren's not spring chicken either. I think she's about 67. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do. I agree. She's risen up in my books. And also, I've been hearing about how she's been trying to create a similar, um, not rally mentality, but a similar sort of her her events her campaign events have been getting bigger and bigger and she stays after whether it takes two three four hours to take selfies with everyone who wants a selfie of her and she's trying to create almost a culture around her campaign events like trump did in a very different way Hmm. um and i like that about her i like that she's she's making that effort to connect to people and to create um to create something positive out of it um unfortunately i'm not as i'm not as positive as you are on any of the other candidates, I think Biden has, he's too old. He has too much baggage. I think, mm-hmm. I think 2016 was Bernie's year and I think it's too late for him now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of the other ones are a little too unknown or a little too fringe or a little too moderate, to be honest. And, mm-hmm. um, right now, you know, we need big ideas, but I'm, I'm worried. I'm really worried. And especially with the impeachment, I'm worried because I think that it'll just further galvanize his base and maybe even swing some people who are on the fence in his direction. Mm-hmm. And I think he has a really good shot of, of holding it. I actually, I agree with everything you just said there. Um, so we are in agreement there. Um, to get back to Elizabeth Warren, though, now, because it, it kind of does seem like she's become the front runner. And also to get back to the climate issue. Here's an example of somewhere where I don't agree with Elizabeth Warren, but I kind of, it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter. So with the climate change uh, open house, the town hall, she said that she, she doesn't favor nuclear energy. Now I I do favor nuclear energy in, at least in the short term to help us kind of get to a place that by like 2050, we can be no longer emitting carbon you know, aspirationally. Um, she thinks we can do that without nuclear energy, which is, is bold. And that would be, I mean, that is better. And maybe it is her role to kind of set that aspirational agenda. So part of me thinks that if she gets in office and a certain bill is passed for climate change reform, um, whatever that may, might look like, and nuclear energy it is a component of that plan. I, I think she would be reasonable enough to accept that. Whereas I don't think she's kind of such a hard ass extremist that she has to have it exactly her way. I think she is, I think she's far more reasonable than she is kind of extreme. And I kind of trust her, her judgment on these kind of kind of issues you know it's it's her role now in the debate to kind to talk about what she believes in and put herself out there but i i i do think she's you know she's a lifer she's not like 
like like Trump, she she comes to this with generations of experience, um, and she'll she'll be able to compromise to the point where if it, if she realizes that that nuclear is is necessary, I think she would do that. I think I think so. I agree, and I think she'd be good at making compromise, but also at standing firm where she feels she needs to stand firm. So no, I'm pretty positive about her. Um, I'm just worried that. You know, we made we've probably made this comparison on the um, on the pod before, but you know what's going on with climate change now is very similar to um, Game of Thrones. It's very simple. It's very similar to you know winter's coming. Winter is coming. You know, and and it was only Jon Snow saying for about two or three seasons up until the end, he was saying winter's coming, guys. We got to stop these petty fights. We got to stop saying who's the king, who's the queen, who's the best. Are you calling Al Gore Jon Snow? Hey, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of Jon Snows out there. <laughs> okay, but you know, and and for those of you who don't watch Game of Thrones, all massive spoiler alert: uh, they do beat Winter. They do beat, and, and from one of the most unlikely of sources. And so I have faith that we will beat Winter. That that Winter will come, and at the last minute, we'll from the un, most unlikely of places, we'll find a way to overcome it. Hmm. But that said. Um, you know, we're in a very similar circumstance where, unfortunately, climate change is not getting the issue it, or the the time it deserves as an issue, because we're too busy bickering about who should be impeached, who should be in jail, who should be this, who should be that. We it's like, you know, we got we got to stop. We got to stop worrying about all this stuff, man. There's something bigger that's going to come for us all. It's very true. So. It's totally DC is King's Landing right now. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no there's no doubt about that. It's the uh it's the trial of Joffrey right now or whatnot or if Tyrion, whatever that's yeah. going on down there. Yeah. Um oh man. What else do we have to talk about here, Z? I know you were in the the Redwoods recently. Did you get any insight into the cosmos and, and the interconnectedness of it all? Well, they are Four thousand years old, or something like that. Some, some are. The oldest tree in the world is in California, and we didn't get to see it, but it's five. It's over five thousand years old. So we we looked at it, and when this tree was just a sapling in California, um, humans had just discovered language. That was around the time of the Mesopotamians, and they had wow. they had just yeah. discovered cuneiform, or not discovered, but they had just developed cuneiform. So written language was just discovered at the time that. Uh, this tree was a sapling. So yeah. it's pretty impressive thing about this tree has been around since then and how quickly in a cosmic scale we've gotten to that point. But no, I, and that tree actually isn't a redwood, by the way. But uh, but like a, a a young redwood is a couple hundred years old. I mean, they mm-hmm. routinely live three, four, five hundred to a thousand years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they really are incredible. And if there if there is some hope in this whole, I mean, this whole podcast has been about the apocalypse, but this is a therapy session as well, um, was that it's still, we did, haven't cut it down yet. There are still redwood trees left. We, we cut down a lot of them, but at a certain point, we, you know, we started conserving some redwoods. You talked about your friend who spots the spotted owl in order to um, save the trees around that area. Um, oh, we got a rubber ball back in the building. So if there's hope is that there have been a lot of, there are good conservation efforts occurring um, hey. uh, right now. And the, yeah. the redwood forest uh, being, being one of them. Absolutely. 
Yeah, the Redwood Forest is an example. Funny thing I found out, and not to put a damper on the subject, but um, Redwood, the, the Redwood Forests are actually not great for, the, for like environmentally. I mean, they're fine, mm-hmm. but they're, the trees are so massive and they take up so much space and so much soil um, and, so, and they block out so much of the sky that really nothing else grows except for redwoods in the redwood forest. Mm. So they're actually not that diverse. It's like redwoods, a couple other ground species, and then a, a f- maybe a few dozen species of birds and other insects and things like that. More than a few dozen, but interesting. it's interesting that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but from a more philosophical standpoint, I think you're totally right. And we have made great efforts, um, you know, much less of the West Coast was deforested than the East Coast, um, you know, because we stopped it in time, more or less. But uh, no, there's things we can do and there's things we are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just a matter of like, can we ramp it up the way we need to? In a way, redwoods are kind of like humans. And bear with me here. But we, we would, were talking about how um, the food chain is kind of like a house of cars or like a tower of Jenga where if you take out the, the plankton or the insects, you know, you lose the birds and then you lose the pre- and it goes kind of up the, up the food chain. But you just said so yourself that the redwoods kind of um, make it impo- uh, very unlikely for other plants to grow underneath it. So you have these huge trees dominating the forest. That's kind of like the way that like human beings are kind of, you know, proliferating around the earth and um, these other mammal mammals are are going extinct. Eric, here's a question for you. Yeah, Real, let me turn your turn your mic on. I've, I have to turn it back on. Oh, there back. you go. All right, testing. You had a question. Check, check, check. Yeah. Um, less a question. Like it's like I've got a thought, and I want to know if you feel the same way. Okay, that's a first. Yeah. There you have a thought. <laughs> yeah. We've got Jeff Bezos. We've got. Elon Musk, we have all these like billionaires. These are the richest people on the planet. And instead of investing in, you know, how we change their industries, except maybe maybe Elon Musk, you can argue that, you know, he's doing a lot for right, electric cars. Getting electric cars on the yeah, road, but you know, coal powered electric cars. I just wonder if these guys, you know, it's kind of just like these are the, you know, the the ruthless elite that they've figured it out that we're fucked the climate we're not going to solve climate change we're going to live on a planet that is uninhabitable and that's why they're investing their time money and resources into these like you know weird space exploration projects because we don't it's like it's like if we can figure out how to live on a spaceship or live on mars and grow our own shit and Mm -hmm. you know just be okay being the only type of species on that planet yeah like Maybe maybe they're just being like, you know, the people that can think 10 steps ahead. Yeah, I, I don't think that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk think similarly on this. Mm-hmm. But I think that Elon Musk is not as motivated by money or, or profit in that way. I think that with SpaceX... Um, have you listened to his, his Joe Rogan podcast or whatnot? Or the one where you start smoking weed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but was that, was that was that during his whole? Uh, but like when he went crazy and it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna buy all the Tesla stock back and they're like fuck no you can't do that like I mean yeah I mean this guy he's I think he's really like kind of a mad genius that he just has you know just he's just bursting at the seams with 
with ideas and a lot of what mm-hmm. he does is motivated by curiosity can i build this can i make this happen okay can i, I get that. to mars you know, there's not i don't he's think not, he's that smart so you don't is, think, is, he, is he you don't think he's that smart when, I think he's got big ideas, but I don't think he's that smart. Maybe, all right, maybe whether you depend, no matter how smart you think he is, I, well, I'm just saying, I think he's motivated more by, by that kind of, um, that fear of yeah. the apocalypse and the curiosity of, of how we can, you know, weasel our way out of, out of this mess than, than by money. I think, I think one thing about that is like, I've, I've always thought the, living on another planet or living in a spaceship or whatever. At some point it might become the only option, but I think that again, it's only going to be the rich a, but B B is, yeah, there's no, it's not, it's not a real life. I mean, I mean the, the beauty of life to me and other people might not feel this way. Yeah. I'm not saying you guys, but you know, there are people out there who wouldn't feel this way, but the beauty of life to me is being able to go down to Baltimore Ave, go to an Ethiopian spot. You know, being yeah, able sure. to go to the community garden. You're dead. You know, being able to. You're already dead. You know, being able to, <laughs> um, you know, go go visit India. Being able to, like, you know, and and those are, and when you're talking about living on Mars, you know, there's that we can't even imagine what we'd actually need. What are we going to grow? Potatoes, corn, pigs, and and eggs. It's like that's a boring life. You know, food is uh-huh. a huge part of life to me. And so, for, and it's not just food. You're talking about culture. But what are you gonna do? Watch TV every day? You know, you'll play. Yeah. You, you will yeah. sit in your, you know, air yeah, conditioned. Obviously, yeah. you'll sit in your little pod. You'll play the next generation of Fortnite. And you'll do. You'll just. Yeah. You'll talk to other like you know, dis. You know, I don't know, like, disenfranchised. Like, you know, not disenfranchised. Dispirited. It's basically like we have. I'm, I'm saying that we have a lot of people already that don't like you know seize life by the horns as you're saying yeah hell mm-hmm. maybe they maybe they thrive well you do vr yeah you do vr stuff you just live in a virtual world yeah you know, um, but to me that doesn't sound you know yeah. let me go down in the flames on earth before yeah. i do that sort of thing yeah, no. you know uh, uh two things one the earth is a spaceship oh a spaceship earth <laughs> we're yeah. on a spaceship <laughs> two yeah. i was just thinking about yeah. That you know, the last time we were on the moon, right? Um, I don't think have we have we ever been on Mars. No, no not, not that not that I not that I heard right. of. Right, we've never no. been on Mars. And you know that the last time that we a man walked on the moon, sixty nine. Well, nineteen seventy two. Seventy two. Um. Yeah. What? what, what like seventy two. Think about all the technology that has occurred since the last time we walked on the moon. Yeah, and well, we always say like, if we put a man on the moon, we can do anything. Well, we haven't put a man on the moon. Well, I think that's <laughs> in, in uh, thirty-seven years. Well, I, I forty-seven years. I don't know. I don't know if this is right, but like, is that? The, and this is this is less. Years. This is less so like a problem with like it's like the moon, but it's just like you know we don't need to put a man on the moon anymore. Like we have like robots that can go to Venus. Like why do we need to like you know put you know Joe Blow on the moon and be like. You're right. It's still there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. You know, it's just like we're, you know. They also did that. The entire spaceship had less computing power than an iPhone. That's crazy. It was like it was like a TI-84 calculator that we went into space with. Yeah. It was very rudimentary, actually. I think we should put a man on the moon again and... Just you know, to have you, him, you, like, yeah, wave you, at us? Yeah, you And know, leave you, him there. Leave him there? I mean, you ask, what can a man or a woman... 
uh, learn on the on the moon that a robot can't. Um, well, there's only one way to find out: put a man on the moon. We should you send know? poets. We, we know that we should send poets to the moon. No, no, like a cultural like it's like if we wanted to like make people fall in love with space travel. Interesting concept. Get, yeah. get the artists in space. You know, mm-hmm. send yeah. Beyonce to the moon. Yeah, I'm yeah I'm I'm anti space right now. Little way anti space. I'm anti space man. I'm all in on. You know, let's... space is pretty harsh. It's pr- it's probably yeah, anti you. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we're supposed to be up there. I don't think so, man. Hold on. We it, would be if we were meant to be. If if Lil Wayne crowdfunded <laughs> his mission to the moon and said that, every, and you know, it costed, let's say, it cost you like five bucks, would you pay five bucks to put Lil Wayne, put, on, put Lil Lil Wayne, Wayne on the moon? On the moon? Yeah. And if he did Absolutely. that, how much money do you think he could raise? <laughs> I mean, well, you have to look at like what what's his appeal outside of the U.S. and even within the U.S. right now. It's probably not much. I think I don't know if it costs that much but, to go but, to the moon anymore. Is there any person that you would rather? You talked about poets. Is there any poet you'd rather put on the moon than Lil Wayne? It's a good question. Do you know any? any Do I know any poets? Any poets not any, in any the music ex- industry? Any existing uh, like just poet people not in the music industry? <laughs> No, I'm not a big poetry. <laughs> it would, it would have to be a musician. It would have to be a songwriter. You put a, you, you could put a great cinematographer up there. You know, you mentioned Beyonce. Would, you would, would you rather have Beyonce in the moon than Lil Wayne? Um, no, I'd rather. I'd probably have Lil Wayne go up to the moon. Yeah, he's a Martian anyway. Yeah. Well, <laughs> He'd be the first Martian on the moon. Beyonce couldn't bring her dancers. We already put a man yeah. on the moon. Time, about the time we put a Martian. <laughs> he is. He is a Martian. Yeah, you could do. You could do like. Yeah, you could do a whole thing. But, no, I'm anti. I'm anti. You know, why doesn't he raise five bucks for, like, you know, solar power? Why yeah. doesn't he raise everyone? Everyone gives Lil Wayne who knows the five secrets? bucks. I think I think that's like that's you know, going back to my point. I think that's like where these guys are at, where it's like, the Earth is like it's like no matter how much money we raise, like we can't change people, you know, we can't create a societal shift this rapidly. So we're just going to get out. Like, this is a bad investment. Well, but Investing in the moon and, is a good investment in mm-hmm. anything but Earth. And even if there wasn't an apocalypse, it's good to invest in space travel anyway because we know that, like, our sun, right, has a life expectancy. Like, it's, at a certain point, we're going to have to leave the Earth whether or not there's climate change. So it's worth investigating these things concurrently. Um, and if you can go to the moon and you can... You know, fun for more solar panels. Like you should do both of those things. There should be a, a time and a place for both. Let's walk and chew gum at the same time, as the have as the guys, slogan of every democratic debate have goes. You guys read um, the Three Body Problem? No, what's this? So it's a Cixin Cixin Lu. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. It's like a sci-fi book. Okay. Um, it was on. The three body problem. Three body problem. It was on like Obama's like reading list a while ago. Okay. Um, and I think it won like a Hugo Award. But basically, they make contact with an alien species, and they're hostile. And but it's very, it's kind of like it's 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 like a hard, it's like a hard science fiction. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're like, oh, and they're not going to get here like you know in an hour with light speed. Like they have like left their planet and I've only finished two of the books. I still need to finish the third. They only just left their planet and they're traveling to earth, this like invading alien species. Mm -hmm. But like we, 
I'm not good at physics. We know that they are coming, like as a society. And we have, I think it was like 400 years in the second book in the Dark Forest to like like prepare. And the book is like mostly just about like, you know, how, you know, governments can't like kind of come together and like put a lot of like resources into basically these like, like grand um, like planners, which is kind of weird. So the aliens have this technology where they can like, they've like been able to like send like, like little computers at the speed of light that are just listening and watching everything. Mm-hmm. So it's having like a, a like a three D audio sensory like readout of like all existence. Mm-hmm. And for some and they can like track it all. So if like if you're planning like, you know, to defeat the aliens, I'm going to like nuke Mars so they can't get here. Like they'll know about it. So they have these like wall facers, um, just like they have these plans and these like grand ambitions, but they don't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. So it goes through just like the the course of like 400 years like how it leads up to the point where they're supposed to come and like through like they reach a point where it's like people are so like fucking sick of like putting all the resources into space exploration and like developing all this technology that like like civil war breaks out and it brings society like back down to zero and but then they i guess rebuild up what was the original point i kind of like lost lost my train of thought mm-hmm. Uh, but you're describing this, and this might be disconnected from what you're saying, but you're describing like how and an kind of alien civilization is sort of uh, they have surveillance on Earth through these kind of like little yeah gadgets. Um, do you ever stop and think that? And I'll, <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> I'll have to look. I'll have to look yeah. more about the three. But no, but this is very much related. Like, do you think about how it's it's entirely possible? We. Um, we talk about the Fermi paradox. You know, if there's life out there, where is it? Um, you know, maybe it's it is here and it's microscopic and it's watching us. Like maybe like an in- insects are actually aliens. You'd for like, all we know, you'd like, like who this knows? Book. I don't want to get um, I don't want to give it away, but the ending is like very kind. It's like kind of like that. It's like life has been around us all along. Right. Like the, this this th- this Japanese lantern fly. Gotta get out of here. All right. Shortly. All right. We'll we'll call, we'll call it shortly. This Japanese lantern fly. Yeah. Right. That's uh, this invasive um, kind of moth or insect, whatever it is. It's now on. Now it's on billboards. It's saying, "If you see this, kill it." Um, is it here? Truly, in Philly? it's here in Philly. Oh, it's, somebody it's was talking over. about this today, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's um, it's very odd, but uh, I mean, what if like there's a there can be like a microscopic alien like that? I also I also forgot the uh, the larger larger point. Um, but that's the, the problem point, of the describing point. science fiction. Yeah, you really gotta get books. get into the weeds. The um, point of the story though is that um, uh, everybody should go read the book, and I need to finish the third one. It's really the, good. The third body problem. Uh, well, the three body the three body problem, three is, body your, problem. is the first one, and then it's Dark Forest is the second one. Okay, are we selling it well here? I think so. I how would, you, how would you pitch this book in 30 seconds? What's our Amazon? Um, hard, Let's try that. Hard science fiction. It's kind of, hard science fiction um, with a Chinese protagonist. And the second one's not as good as the first one. The <laughs> first one, give, the give first one's fucking... I, I, this I, is going I, off the rails. All right. Well, I'll give a synopsis of the first one, which is great. 
because the first one it's like kind of jumps back and forth between like a lot of these like listening stations that they set up to like find these aliens mm-hmm. and they tie that in really well with um the cultural revolution like okay. it's all set against the backdrop of the cultural revolution and like mm-hmm. red guard and like the first listening post was like established by the red guard and like all these different factions yeah. and that's just like i'm personally very interested in like you know like early communist china like chinese history and like all the factions also mm-hmm. if any mm-hmm. i also read this summer and i think well, I well, let's, but while well, it's just getting on this um let's let barack obama give his elevator pitch there you go uh, according to wikipedia He's, former uh, u.s president much more eloquent than me former u.s president barack obama man much more eloquent than robert ball said <laughs> the scope of it was immense so that was fun to read partly because my day-to-day problems with congress seem fairly petty um cool all right was it was Tack- the washington the washington post says tackles politics philosophy and virtual reality in a story that moves at a thrillish pace the new yorker says it evokes the thrill of exploration and the beauty of scale okay yeah look into it um, yeah got a lot got a lot to it's read. good the first one's really good yeah. the second one's like mediocre i'd say until about like halfway through and then it really picks up all right I will look at it. Well, um, anyway, uh, let's leave you with a one last climate change fact. Rainforests are cut down at a rate of 100 acres per minute. <laughs> but it's going to be okay, guys. <laughs> and to find out why it's going to be more okay, join us next week for episode two, season two, episode 11 total, I suppose, of Climate Change Therapy. Zina uh, Lueka, Robert Ball, uh, it's been a pleasure. Do you have any final concluding remarks or you want to say goodbye to our listeners? Where does Robert Ball fall on the 30 under 30? What posi- What number is he in? Um, he's, a f- he's number five. He's number five. 30 yeah. under 30? The uh, 30 under 30 greatest planners in Philadelphia. Here, here's, the th- here's the thing. Or urban, urban philosophers. Here's, <laughs> here's the reason why Z is number four and Robert Ball is five. Uh, Robert Ball is still in school. Right. He's, that is true. He's got a lot to learn. He's right. I do. I, I, learned, I, I learned a great deal today. And I'm gonna learn even more tomorrow. That's good. What was what That's was right. your oh, Robert Ball? We we gotta have have you on the the pod again as, as soon. When, when are you leaving for Indonesia and Singapore? Yeah, I wow. I'm going to fly to Jakarta and then go to Semarang next week um, with Stuart Weitzman School of Design. Uh, we're doing a studio project that is looking at um, industrial waterfronts uh, with a resiliency. Mm-hmm. And shoe Mindset. wear, hmm? and shoe wear, industrial waterfronts, and shoe wear. You know, some would, some people get confused. Actually, we actually don't have a fashion program at the Stuart Weitzman School of Design. <laughs> Not okay. yet. It's a, it's a very common misconception. Yeah, they're planning okay. one. Are they really? Yeah, I read. Oh, <gasps> oh boy. Oh well, I got. They're going to cut their planning program. <laughs> I got to tell you guys about something, but uh, we can leave that for after the podcast. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I want, I want to hear my, about that. My send off well, is. Um, just keep learning. I don't know. When, when do you leave? When Wednesday. You leave tomorrow? No, not tomorrow. No, no, no. A week from tomorrow. A week tomorrow. from tomorrow. A week from and then tomorrow. you're gone a week and a half? Yeah, I'll okay. be gone a week and a half. Nice. Cool. Nice. Yeah. All right, well, we'll have to have you on again to, to recap that. Yeah. Um, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure at all, as always. This, this was a long one, uh, as always. Um, I'll go back and not edit. Uh, but uh, thanks, guys, and uh, yeah, have a, have a good rest of your uh, Tuesday. All right. All right. Bye, folks. Bye, guys.